0: here we go. So uh, we are in week six, sorry, (laughs) week five, my bad, Um, of this series. And in week one, Rachel talked to us about these guys that were taken from their homeland, um, and they held true to to their values and what was important to them. And they were steadfast in their faith, and they refused to do what culture told them to do, but they did what they knew was right in the eyes of God. Beautiful message, um, unpacking Daniel 1 and 2. And then in week two, Jacob encouraged us to remain in our faith, no matter the consequences, no matter what we do, we remain. And as we stay steadfast in that, um, we see people, the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who go into the fiery furnace, and a fourth appears, and the Lord saves them, and they come out untouched. And in week three, we had the man, the myth, the legend himself, Pastor Jerry, come in and talk to us. Yeah, right, about the redemptive story of Nebuchadnezzar and uh, him finding God after losing everything and having no hope but looking to the sky and just crying out for something else. It's beautiful. And last week, last week, our good friend Luke uh, brought us a powerful message and asked us the question, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to be known for? And uh, we looked at a guy named Belshazzar, um, I think Luke called him Shazzy last week. Uh, Belshazzar, though, and uh, how he did not have the same redemptive story. And then uh, he met an unfortunate end, and his kingdom was taken over by someone else. And that's where we're going to pick up tonight. But before we get started, let's pray. God, thank you for these students, thank you for their parents. Thank you for Beach Church for providing a place for them to come and hear your word. Holy Spirit, fill this place. We welcome you. We invite you. Come in. Come into hearts and lives. Speak through me to these students tonight. Help them see the truth, ultimate truth of your word. Amen. Amen. So we're going to do something that uh, I don't think I've ever done necessarily, but we're going to just kind of read the whole chapter. I know, right? It's fun. And then that way, if you've never read the Bible before in your life, not one single word, you've read at least one chapter of the Bible by the end of the night tonight. So, big shout out to Rachel who um, put my slides in super last minute because I'm a terrible person and waited till so long. And uh, much apologies to you, Rachel. But thank you, Rachel, for doing that. Daniel 6, we're talking about the den of lions. This is the most famous story, uh, probably in the book of Daniel, and one that you're probably very familiar with from uh, preschool worship, elementary worship, vacation Bible school, all those things. You probably have heard the story of Daniel in the lion's den, um, but today we're going to unpack a little bit more about that and why he was there in the first place, and we're going to kind of talk through some of these uh, passages and see what they mean for your life and how we can apply these things to your world. Sound good? Good deal. All right, so before we start with chapter 6, we are going to go to the last verse. The last verse in chapter 5, which says this, 30 and 31, don't worry, don't worry. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So that's where we are, that's where we're beginning in chapter 6, Darius the Mede, he is now the king, he is now there in power. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. These guys are like mayors, um, governors, something like that. So these are just rulers over these different areas of the kingdom because it was a large kingdom. Darius could not do it all. So he appointed people, these satraps, um, to rule over them with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So picture this, you have the king, Then you have these three administrators, and then you have 120 ruling people. Now, the 120 people, they were super powerful. Like, they had lots of authority. But above them, you had these three guys, Daniel being one of them, who ruled over the 120. So Daniel has now been placed in, like, a super powerful position in the kingdom here. (laughs) Sorry. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Verse 3 says this, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. In this moment, these guys are looking for anything and everything they can do to blame Daniel. They're trying to look for corruption. They're seeing, did he skim a little money here, skim a little money there, do something that was immoral, take away from the kingdom in any way? And the only thing they can find against him is that he worships a God different than them. He worships his God unceasingly. And here, Daniel's proven to be someone who's blameless. This does not mean he's sinless um, or that he lives a life free of just doing anything wrong, but he does live a life that honors God and everything that he does, and that is his weakness in their eyes. The one thing that gives us his strength, the one thing that gives Daniel his power and his authority on this earth, is the thing that these men see as the thing that is his weakness. Do you live in a way where people look at you and know that the reason you act the way you do is because you live a life surrendered to God? I don't always. I don't always. Verse 6 says this. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. Now, what are they doing here? They're buttering him up. Here they're pandering. They're playing to his ego. They're building up in Darius a sense of importance, a sense of self-worth. Do they really feel this way? No, of course not. Of course not. What they're doing is they're trying to get him excited about himself. Darius is the ruler, and they're saying, oh, Darius, you're great. May you live forever. But they have an ulterior motive. And when I was thinking through this, I was thinking of something um, about power and how those that often seek power – are the people that probably need it the least. In this moment, how often do you see, throughout chapters one through six, how often do you see Daniel seeking power? Never, right? Never. What is Daniel doing? He's being obedient obedient and faithful to God. And because of that, he's seen as trustworthy and honorable, and he's given chances, and he's given authority. Uh, Verse seven says, the royal administrator's prefects, satraps advisors and governors notice they all have like this unified front where they're going against they all have a vested interest they all want to take down daniel why because they don't like him because they want to be the ones that are the ones that the king points to when he needs something they want to be the ones in power they want to be the ones in authority they all go together and they uh it says this they have all agreed that the king should issue an edict And enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. First of all, it's weird. Why are they praying to human beings, first of all? But again, what are they doing? They're building him up. They're they're building Darius up. And they're saying, hey, if anybody's going to pray to anybody, anything, any deity, let that deity be you. You are the ruler. You are the only king that we need, the only authority that we need in our lives. Darius probably thinks this is a decent idea. anyone who prays to anyone except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree. And in this moment, you see, is Darius in charge of his own kingdom? Not really. These guys who have infiltrated, who've come in, who have said all these things about, you know, I think that you should make this rule up. He doesn't use Daniel as an example. Why? Because the king loves Daniel. They have a hypothetical for him. What if What if we just said for the next 30 days, we just say that everybody has to worship you and you only? Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians. Again, the Medes are there. Darius comes in. He's saying, remember, our law says this, that once it's in writing, it cannot be altered. This is the law of the Medes and the Persians. But whose kingdom does Daniel belong to? Whose kingdom does Daniel belong to? Not theirs. Not theirs. Daniel's a refugee anyway. Even in the earthly realm, he doesn't belong in their kingdom. He's been placed there against his will. But how much do you think he cares about the laws of the Medes and the Persians, especially when it comes to worshiping his God? I would guess very little. We saw earlier in the book that Daniel and his friends refused to eat the food in the kingdom because it wasn't compliant with their religious beliefs. And again, here we see a law that would seem to be human-created, not God-created. But the end of this verse... It says this, which cannot be repealed, which cannot be repealed. So once it's in writing, the rule is, according to the Medes and the Persians, that once it's in writing, it is what it is. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered, and it cannot be repealed, meaning even the king himself cannot take this away. And immediately he says, so King Darius put the decree in writing. He's not seeing through their plan at this point. Why? They've convinced him it's a good idea. His ego has taken over. It's allowed him to be manipulated. Did your pride ever get away of what you should be doing? Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. This is huge just as he had done before. He went home to his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And in this moment, we see a decree from the king, his boss, the most powerful person in the land, puts into place. Daniel does what Daniel does. Life gets hard, and Daniel doesn't clam up, and he doesn't run away. Daniel does what Daniel does. He turns to the Father in a way that is bold, not in what he's asking, necessarily. We don't know what Daniel's praying. These are just his daily prayers. He's going to the Father. He goes to the Father in boldness, with the audacity to defy a king that tells me, you have to worship only me, because it's the right thing to do in his eyes. You see, I would say that um, we don't have to worry about people throwing us to lion's den for praying, but I'm going to be very honest with you. I still, even now, Feel a little weird if we're in a crowded restaurant and someone's like, Should we pray? And the whole table does this. How lame is that? How lame is that? That a pastor would still be like, I don't know, what if people are offended by this? That's lame. I'm lame. Do you pray in the cafeteria, the coffee shop? When you go to a restaurant with your friends at night, do you say, Hey, can we pray? And then your whole table bow their heads and pray? Do you do that? Do you let others see that moment when you connect to God and give thanks for all that He does in your life? Are you praying with your windows open? Are you praying with your windows open? Already, I have to stop? I'm just getting started. And why does this matter? Why does this matter? We see Daniel uh, praying. Just like these men see Daniel praying and they go try to catch him in their trap, others see you. And while you may face an ugly look or a weird face or a what is this person doing or a judgment or something along those lines, others may see boldness and they may be inspired to live out their faith in a bolder way, in a bolder way. Verse 11 says this, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. He falls right into the traps. And you may be thinking, well, isn't Darius the king? Can't Darius do whatever he wants to? He's the king. He could change the rules. He could do Yes and no. I mean, yeah, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants to. But if he breaks those moral codes or those sort of unspoken rules that the Medes and Persians have in place here, it opens his kingdom up to the possibility of not him not being the final word. Does that make sense? In doing that, he's showing a weakness towards another human. If he were to break this rule in this moment, what he's doing is he's now saying... I believe in this man so much that I'm going to go against the rules and the laws of my own land. And then there's a weakness in him, a chink in his armor, and a softness that makes it easy for people to come in and say, let's take him down now because we know that this man has a soft spot for somebody else. He could lose power. He could lose control. So what does Darius do? He follows the law of the land. Not what he knows is right in his own heart. To be honest, this is the easier way. It's a lot easier to just do whatever society says. It's a lot easier to do whatever your friends are doing. It's a lot easier that if you go to a table full of Christians and nobody offers to pray, to not say, we should pray. It's a lot easier to just say, let's just eat, let's just drink our coffee. Let's just have lunch. Verse 13 says, then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, your majesty. Notice the word choice. He pays no attention to you. Is that what Daniel is doing? No, not at all, not at all, but they play that against him. He pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put into writing. They are big on this writing thing. It's like they just learned to write. Or something. He still prays three times a day, and when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Now, notice this. This is kind of interesting. The king was distressed. He's not angry. He's upset. He's He's upset. He's not angry, he's not mad at Daniel. He's not venge- revengeful, vengeful towards Daniel. He's not any of that. He's distressed. He's upset. And immediately it says he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. You see, most kings wouldn't have been upset by the fact that someone uh, would have been upf- upset by the fact that someone was listening to their decree. But Darius is upset, because in this moment, he feels like he has no choice. Here is his most trusted advisor, the man that he believes in the most in the entire country, to help him rule his kingdom. And he himself has sentenced him to death. Verse 15, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And in this moment, we see that Darius loves Daniel, yet he has sentenced him to death. Unless he bucks the system, he doesn't. Unless he bucks the system, there's nothing he can do to save Daniel. So in verse 16, it says the king gave his order and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. This is important why it's important to read things in context. Because if you were to read that out of context, it would be really easy to say that Darius is being sarcastic as he throws him in. Right? May your God save you, Daniel. Good luck. But if we're reading it in context, it's very clear. It's very clear that is not the way in which Darius means this. Darius means this with full sincerity. He does not want Daniel to die. And he just says, may your God, whom you are serving continually, rescue you. So interesting. But Daniel doesn't say anything. And we have to go only based on what the Bible tells us. And it doesn't say that Daniel went down kicking and screaming. It doesn't say that Daniel yelled back, yeah, right, Darius. He doesn't say anything. He walks in silence, I guess, and goes down to the lion's den all stoic, So I picture him just sort of like silently being lowered down to his death. And in this moment, I was struck by the idea that our actions of faith speak much louder than our words of faith. Our actions of faith speak much louder than our words of faith. How are you acting in your faith? How are you showing others the boldness you have in your relationship with the Lord? Verse 17, a stone was brought, bless you, and placed over the mouths of the den Sorry, the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. This is kind of like a stamp, like one of those stamp things. Once it's sealed, if somebody breaks this in the middle of the night, they will know. And if somebody breaks it, it's probably the king because everybody else wants Daniel dead, right? But then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Now watch. This is different. As Daniel's being lowered into the lion's den, Darius says, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. But what does he say when he goes back to the den? He says, Daniel, servant of the living God. There's a hope in that. His tone has shifted. There's recognition here. Even before the king knows whether or not Daniel has lived, that because of Daniel's boldness, the impossible could be possible. Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Real talk. What kind of crazy question is that to ask him? Hey, man, I threw in a den in a hole with a bunch of lions. Are you still alive the following morning? Of course he's not. Of course he's not. There's going to be silence. Daniel's gone. And it's only wishful, not only wishful thinking, but it's delusional thinking that Daniel is going to be alive the next morning when he goes back. And Daniel answered, and notice his word choice here. This is what's interesting about this chapter. May the king live forever. Yeah, I'm good. Doesn't say that. He says, may the king live forever. Have you heard this before in this chapter? Right? When the guys came to Darius and they persuaded Darius to create this decree where they were going to throw people in jail if they didn't worship anybody but him. Same thing, may the king live forever. But they were doing it from a way to build him up. They were doing it in a different way to creating him a sense of self-worth. Daniel is coming to him with a place of sincerity. It shows an intimacy between Daniel and the king. It shows the fact that they care for each other, they love for each other. And he means it when he says, may the king live forever. And what this does, in a lot of ways, it shows the difference, a direct parallel between Daniel and the guys that put him there in the first place. And it also tells the king, hey, no harm, no ill will towards you. I'm not going to kill you as soon as I get out of this pit. May you live forever, King Darius. Verse 22 My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And what Daniel's saying here is that if I had, I would be dead. So ask yourself this. We come in all the time. We sing songs about how great our God is. we just sang some, by the way, worship tonight, wherever you guys are, so good. It puts us in such a great space to hear the word of God. We come in and we sing how great God is and how great it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill this place. But do you really believe that the God you believe in, can he shut the mouths of lions? Do you believe that about your God? Do you believe that about your God? When we face those difficult moments, do we believe that our God can shut the mouths of lions? Verse 23 the king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound had been found on him because he had trusted in God. Disclaimer here bad things happen to good people. Let's be clear that's not what this means. Okay, that's not what this means. Daniel was good, so he lived. Daniel was faithful and he was obedient, and this is an example. You could have had someone in the Bible who was just as faithful and just as obedient, and they could have been thrown into the lions and, and destroyed. But in this moment, God spares Daniel. No wound was found on him because he was trusted in God. At the king's command... This is kind of like, if any of you were here a few, like a month or two ago when I preached about David and Goliath, and we got to the end, and it talked about David cutting Goliath's head off and sort of like, like how the nursery story differs from the real story. This is one of those moments. But um, uh, as David was walking around and Goliath's head was sort of banging against his knee as he was walking through the kingdom and showing people that he won the battle, uh, this is kind of similar. But it says, at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den. And this is so gnarly, along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. It was like tossing Skittles into the air and trying to catch them in your mouth. And the lions just sort of just immediately um, destroyed them and their family, their wives and their kids. Yep. Uh, So Darius wasn't playing at this moment. Also, it's kind of funny, the direct juxtaposition between that and then the next verse, which says, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language on the earth, wishing, um, he's like, wishing them well. May you prosper greatly, as long as you're not these three and all of their families, right? And verse 26 says, I issue a decree, and immediately when I was reading this, I thought, not again. Oh, here we go again. That in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel let fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And this is really kind of this last little bit of scripture. It's really kind of beautiful. Um, this is kind of Darius' take on the God of Daniel. And it says this, For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In this moment, Daniel's faith does more than save him. Notice how Darius' entire opinion about Daniel's God has completely shifted. The living God. This is a great story. This is a great story. But what are you supposed to do with this? Because the reality is you're not going to face a lion's den over the summer. But I do want you to think about summer, and I want you to think about your life like Daniel's. Um, it won't be 80 years, and you won't be in exile, but there could be some difficult things that happen to you or you could be put in some difficult situations over the summer that could take you away from your faith. They could take you from your homeland. You will in a lot of ways be exiled from the place that you met Jesus. A lot of you met Jesus in this very room. And over the summer, you will kind of be in exile away from this place. You won't be here that often. We'll go to camps, we'll go to trips and things like that, but you won't be in this room. You won't be here every Wednesday for life groups. In a way, you will be in a little bit of an exile. And you can't rely on those weekly things to carry your faith. You can't rely on others. You can't rely on your life group leaders. You can't rely on me or Jacob, Rachel. You can't rely on any of us. You have to rely on yourself to carry your faith in your relationship with God. But, but, your relationship with God over the summer can be rich. It can be full. And I want to challenge you. As you go away for the summer, I want to challenge you. I want you to spend real time reading God's word. I want you to find a reading plan. I want you to be in it all the time. Dive in, dive in. Set aside time every day to pray and worship. Seek God first in difficult moments. In the moment when Daniel's told, You can't do the very thing that gives you life, he immediately goes to his room and he opens the window and he does it. Why? Because God is his sustainer, God is his hope seek god first in difficult moments don't run away or shy away but have the boldness and faith that daniel has and realize that your god is the same god that he has been and always will be your god is the god who can shut the mouths of lions your actions speak louder than your words so pray with your window opens pray with your windows open pray with your windows open and let the world see who your king really is this summer let's pray god thank you for this day and thank you for the moments that we get to spend together Thank you for these students and their hearts for you. For every person in this room that has a relationship with Jesus, I pray that they find a boldness and a way in which they can just dive into their faith It's meaningful and impactful and rich and special. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit.